The Great Depression hit Atlanta hard, and it wasn't until the New Deal drafted by President Franklin D. Roosevelt that the city got back on its feet. The thing that kind of turned it around for Atlanta was FDR and the New Deal programs. And once they went into um, effect, they helped meet this gap and they, they pumped millions of dollars into the city's economy. And just as importantly, they employed thousands of, of residents and they enabled the, the city to do things it couldn't have afforded otherwise in terms of infrastructure. For example, it's during this period that Atlanta develops a lot of its water sewer systems uh, that are still, many of them, uh, still in place today. Um, it, it also, there were other projects that repaired schools, hospitals. They graded the air runways at Candler Field, therefore making it even more of a, of a, um, a, a destination for, uh, for flights. Um, and uh, they even, they even uh, contributed, some of the funding was even contributed to a new uh, symphony orchestra. Um, by the 1930s, all of this was starting to, the, the, the kind of severity of the depression was starting to wane and private businesses picked up and the number of residents working on those lessened. But if it hadn't been for New Deal, I'm, not, I'm sure it might have been a whole different story for, for Atlanta going forward. So when Atlanta reached the 1950s, the city was on an upswing. Well, and during this time period, the city actually tripled in size. And this was part of a plan of improvement that called for the annexation of a lot of areas surrounding um, Atlanta. They weren't part of the city at that time, about 82 square miles and added 100,000 new residents. So it definitely, this was contributed to the city becoming more of a force and more of a more of a kind of organized within the city limits. Atlanta holds true to its identity as a transportation hub. Now the attention turns to cars, interstates, and roads. Um, also, Atlanta, when we talk about being at the forefront of transportation, starts construction of new highways and freeways um, almost a decade before the interstate highway systems came into effect. They built a uh, a kind of highway um, assisted in that took Atlanta that went ran between Atlanta and Savannah. It developed some kind of uh, almost a super highway as they called it at that time that went north to uh, Marietta. Um, so they were very well uh, positioned when the interstate system started to not get just one interstate but three um, that that passed through Atlanta. One thing that I really haven't been able to answer in terms of Atlanta's soccer history and its growth or lack thereof is what happened after the Atlanta League fizzled out in the late 20s and you had the, the Great Depression and then followed up by World War II that were obvious factors in why that would happen. but it's really unclear as to what happened next for the game. And there's not even that many mentions in the Atlanta newspaper at that time. Um, I don't know if it just wasn't happening and you didn't have soccer and school teams, for example. You'd get one-offs like in 1945 before World War II was over. Uh, there was an article that said Druid Hills captures two soccer crowns. It was a 
a sponsored Greater Atlanta High School Athletic Tournament, that it kind of feels like a field day sort of deal rather than organized teams. And that is really the only references to soccer that you can find for decades. So the local colleges, you had some others in the Southeast that started full varsity programs prior to 1958. But the first official varsity program in the state of Georgia was at Emory University in 1958. And they played schools like North Carolina. Um, they played other schools in the region. They were ahead of their time. They were the first. Oglethorpe came a few years later in 1961. That was their first. Uh, you also had Emory at Oxford, which had a program as well at this time. So you had some schools that could play one another. They didn't always have to go to the Carolinas to play teams. Uh, Davidson was a frequent opponent at this time. Barry College fielded their first team in 1962. So you, you started to have that growth. In 1966, Georgia Tech hosts the first ever Atlanta Invitational. Four teams participate, including Georgia Tech, Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee. Writes one reporter, quote, all four teams will lean heavily on foreign students. Tech's team, which is loaded with Latin American stars, has been generally recognized as the best in the South for the past two years. You did have the game happening at Georgia Tech at this time, but they never fielded a true varsity team that played an NCAA schedule. And other schools like Tennessee did as well, and, and Auburn was still playing at this time. You had schools that had teams, but they would probably be under the club sports banner that, that you would think of now, as opposed to a varsity team. And at this time, just because of the number of opponents that you had, you would have crossover and, and Emory would play Georgia Tech. There was, I think, a series of letter, letters to the editors at the Atlanta Constitution or the Atlanta Journal with one school claiming that they had the best program in the state. And then the other school said, no, we're better and let's play. And you had that kind of stuff happening. So the line between what a varsity program was and what a club program was, was very fuzzy in the 50s and 60s. A high school soccer powerhouse emerges in the 1950s, Westminster School. In 1962, Westminster has one of their best seasons in history. They're led by Leif Arell, a Swedish player who scores 30 goals. So Westminster became the first high school to really push soccer in the state of Georgia in more modern times. And I mentioned in 57, they played Georgia Military Academy in what was called a varsity soccer match. Westminster was led by a man named Bob Sims, who begins coaching there in 1959. He'll end up staying at Westminster for 34 years. Westminster has won the most titles in state history. But just as importantly, Bob Sims and Westminster proved to be an effective way to introduce young people to the sport. In February of 1962, Charlie Roberts writes an article entitled, Westminster Missionaries Win Converts. Those converts turn out to be places like Chambly, Sandy Springs, and Pace Academy, which launched soccer teams in 1962. Headland Fields, their first soccer team in 61. So the mission of Bob Sims pays off. They were the ones who led the push to the Georgia High School Association to actually sanction soccer as an official sport. And it took 
about 10 years of work from Westminster and a small handful of other schools that were playing the game at that time to get it sanctioned right before the professional team was coming into Atlanta for the 1967 season. 1966 is the first official high school state championship year in, in Georgia high school history. And it's fitting that it was Westminster who won that first title without them pushing it. You weren't going to get other Atlanta area schools to take it up. And some did before it was officially sanctioned by HSA. And you weren't going to get some of those other private schools and academies around the region to take the sport up either. So Westminster is a really important area. And when you have somebody like Bob Sims coaching at that school for 34 years, you have a figure who is going to impact not just one generation of players, but multiple generations of players. Sports has always been part of American DNA. Basketball was born when Jim Naismith posted a peach basket to a wall. American football, arguably the most successful of all the current national professional sports leagues, kicked off in 1920 in Canton, Ohio. Baseball, the national pastime, was founded and developed in the 1800s. In fact, baseball was the first professional sport to arrive to Atlanta. 51,000 plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swung, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. The Atlanta Braves have brought the first championship to Atlanta. And baseball arrived to the city long before the Atlanta Braves. In the 19th century, to be exact. Baseball, which as as far as we know, made its first appearance, the first game played in 1866. Become 1900, Atlanta joins this new professional baseball league uh, with a number of other southern cities. And Atlanta's team is the Atlanta Crackers. The Atlanta Crackers played in a variety of leagues during its time. Most notably, it played in the Southern Association League, a minor league that featured other teams such as the Birmingham Barons, the Chattanooga Lookouts, and the Memphis Chicks. The Crackers remained Atlanta's home baseball team until 1965. And the Atlanta Crackers are all around for almost 50 years after that. Uh, they played in a, a very kind of iconic park called Ponce, as we say in, in Atlanta, Ponce de Leon Park or Ponce Park. And um, which featured, by the way, I believe a large magnolia tree in the outfield. Ponce de Leon Park also served as the venue for another baseball team in town, Atlanta's team that was part of the Negro League. It also became the uh, venue when the Crackers were, Atlanta Crackers were out of town for the black baseball team, which is Atlanta Deppens, or they were also known as the Black Crackers. So they played there, they played at some of the other uh, some of the other uh, black colleges and university fields, et cetera, other places. But they were both taking off at that same time. Baseball shared some crossover with soccer, as we'll see later with the Atlanta Chiefs. Sometimes soccer games at Piedmont Park during the days at the Atlanta Soccer Football Club were played on baseball diamonds, which is a situation our friends today over at New York City FC know quite well. Sometimes players overlapped, too. 
1938, the Atlanta Crackers signed a former pro soccer player, Al Rubling, who played for the Baltimore Soccer Club. The 1960s brought professional sports to Atlanta in a big, bold way. Atlanta to become the city that I think its leaders and I think, you know, maybe it's just its ambition that was always there for the city. To get there, you had to get professional sports. Atlanta was one of the first cities in the Southeast to feature major sports teams. Cities like Savannah and Charleston didn't have major sports. None of these big cities had these teams. Uh, so Atlanta becomes that, 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 that one city in the South that has these connections with all of these different sports in, major, in terms of uh, major league sports. So it does create a lot of enthusiasm. It does create a lot of attention on the city. It did kind of feed into that, that on uh, the, the city's sense of itself as one of the major players in the U.S. Uh, so it really does bring a lot of recognition uh, throughout the nation of a city that some may not have been that aware of in the past. But in order to attract professional teams, Atlanta first had to make room for them. They had to give them a real place to play, a stadium, a venue, a place that would draw large crowds to watch big games. And as we know, even today, stadiums require a lot of money and leadership. So enter Ivan Allen Jr. That's the authorized representative of a major league franchise has assured us of the willingness and the desire in the form of a verbal contract to move their franchise to Atlanta when a stadium is properly assured. I can almost hear the crack of the bat in the Washington urban renewal area at this time. Allen was the mayor of Atlanta from 1962 to 1970. He served the office at a critical point in Atlanta's history and did so peacefully. He was known for brokering peaceful solutions at a time when race relations in the South were sometimes violent, especially in nearby cities like Selma and Memphis. Allen once testified for the Civil Rights Act of 1964. He was the only prominent white Southern leader to do so. One of the interesting things about um, Mayor Ivan Allen Jr.'s launch, relaunch of the Ford Atlanta campaign is that the first Ford Atlanta campaign back in the 1920s had been launched by his father, Ivan Allen Sr., and both of them had become president of the Chamber of Commerce. So going into his, his uh, first term as, off, as, as mayor, he was already had, had worked on a number of these things, and these were the things he wanted to happen to the city. Uh, and, and one of those was bringing in the big league sports, but uh, so was the relaunch of, that, uh, relaunch of that Ford Atlanta campaign. And it was equally successful as the first one. A lot of international and national corporations made their headquarters, not just their regional headquarters, but their national, their, their headquarters in Atlanta. And then um, um, Mayor Ivan Allen Jr. had always been a big believer in the importance of bringing big league sports to Atlanta. And so he got involved in that very early. And one of his, one of his first efforts into, off, uh, into office 
was to reintroduce the Forward Atlanta campaign, which had been that had happened in the twenties and brought all of these these uh, businesses there. But then his next one was to to um, to look at bringing new big league teams to Atlanta. Um, I, I'm, I love one quote that was attributed to him many times that he said, as he was pursuing this, he and his allies managed to build a stadium on land they didn't own with money they didn't have. And for teams that had, hadn't, they hadn't signed up for, or in one case, were, were ne- didn't even yet exist. To build the first major stadium in Atlanta was an incredible feat. Allen acquired money from the state, the city, and Atlanta businesses to fund the build. The stadium was given a simple, straightforward name, Atlanta Stadium. It would later become Atlanta Fulton County. And not one, but two major new major league teams uh, began their seasons at that new stadium in 1966. One of those two teams was the Atlanta Falcons, which was founded in 1965 and joined the National Football League a year later. The Falcons played their first game ever at Atlanta Stadium on August 1st, 1966, in a preseason game against the Philadelphia Eagles. The other team to open its season at Atlanta Stadium was the Braves, which had just moved to Atlanta from Milwaukee. The move brought one of the most iconic players in baseball, the home run king, otherwise known as Hank Aaron. One ball and no strikes, Aaron waiting, the outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron. One of the owners of the Braves was named William Bartholomew. He bought the Braves in 1962 as part of a Chicago-based group. Immediately, they began shopping the Braves to a larger television market. The fan support for the Braves in Milwaukee was lacking, and ticket sales were disappointing. So the Braves ownership wanted to find the team a new home and put their product in front of a more enthusiastic audience. Wisconsin put up a fight, but eventually lost. And the prospect of a new stadium being built in a fast-growing city was an opportunity fit for a king, the home run king. Bartholomew would be a key figure in Atlanta sports, not only in baseball. He'd proved to play a pivotal role for another major club in Atlanta. One he saw value in, once he looked at the rich soil of Atlanta and saw what could possibly grow. Today, Atlanta is also becoming the center of a professional sport new in the United States, but known around the world. Atlanta is home of the Chiefs, a club led to national prominence in two short years. Next up on the history of soccer in Atlanta, Chapter 1, The Atlanta Chiefs. You're listening to the History of Atlanta Soccer presented by Piedmont, an Atlanta United production, which is produced by Jason Longshore and me, Sandy McAfee. This episode was edited together by Diego Pinzon, 
Special thanks to Dee Turner, Chris Winkler, Matt Moore, the University of Georgia Archive, the City of Atlanta, and the new Encyclopedia of Georgia. Additional thanks to Monique Rojas, Tiffany Hart, and the Atlanta History Center for their help and support on this episode. And thank you to our guests, Dr. Andy Ambrose and Patrick Sullivan. To learn more, visit atlantaunited.com slash podcast. Thank you.